Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand, please, our copies of God's Word, and open them together to the 50th Psalm, Psalm 50, our text today, verses 7 through 15. As we begin this morning, a four-part sermon series entitled, A Thousand Hills, and subtitled, A Biblical Worldview on Money and Possessions, Psalm 50, verses 7 through 15. Some months ago, our church adopted the Baptist faith and message of 2000 as our official doctrinal statement. In the very first article, the Baptist faith and message is on the scriptures. We Baptists like to say we're people of the book. And so it stands to reason that our first article has to do with what we believe about the Bible. Just listen as I read this article on the scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct should be tried. That's the article and the point in the article that I want to emphasize we say and believe here that the Bible is our supreme standard for all of human conduct. Well, a standard is a measuring tool. It's the thing that is perfect against everything else that is measured against it. So if the Bible is our supreme standard for all of our conduct, it's essential that all of our conduct is passed through a biblical worldview. And so today, much of human conduct centers around material possessions. And in our modern world, the concept of money. And since much of the average person's day includes activities designed to create income to meet the needs of life, it would stand to reason that the Bible would have something to say about how we make and spend money and right attitudes towards material possessions and wealth. Well, you would guess rightly if you guessed that. The Bible has much to say on those subjects. In fact, it says much more than I could possibly say in four Sundays but we're going to attempt to make a good start. Thematically, I want us to cover four areas of a biblical worldview about possessions. Number one, where we begin today, God's ownership of everything. So God created the earth and all that is in it. In fact, he created our entire universe and therefore he is the rightful owner of it. Secondly, our stewardship of his blessings. Now that's a plural possessive pronoun, our, and its antecedent means Christians. Speaking of the church, we have a particular responsibility as stewards of all of God's blessings. Thirdly, we want to cultivate a right attitude. We want to think correctly about money and wealth. And then fourthly and finally, our activity with money. That is how we spend it, how we give it away, how we save it, and the things we spend it on. So let's start this morning with God's ownership of everything, which sort of gives away the answer to the question that I pose tongue in cheek in the title of today's sermon, which is, is God in need? 
And we know, of course, he's not in need. But we know he's not in need based on this text. Psalm 57 through 15. Let's read. Hear, O people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of this, his word. Now your Bible may have a notation at the beginning of this psalm ascribing it to the author named Asaph. Asaph wrote 12 of the Psalms. He was a contemporary of King David. He was appointed to be the chief worship leader for Israel. He was a songwriter, a composer, and a poet at heart. But in this case, he is used prophetically by God to send a message to Israel concerning God's nature as it relates to their sacrifices and offerings. And he clearly, in verse 7, uh, tells us that this is a message from God. It's not just Asaph's opinion. And the first thing that God declares through Asaph's pen is our first point, and that is this. God takes no pleasure in mere ritual. No pleasure in mere ritual. Look at verse 8. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. God is about to rebuke Israel regarding their offerings to him, but it's not for the reasons you might expect. Now, for those of you who grew up going to an evangelical church such as this one, you are never surprised when you open the bulletin, when you get here in the morning on Sunday to find that the pastor is preaching a sermon on financial stewardship. We do that sometimes here, don't we? But unfortunately, for many of you, the experience has been when you look over on the other side of the bulletin, when you see how we're doing against the budget, you see that we're not doing so well. And oftentimes sermon series about giving in the church are motivated out of a desire to make the people feel guilty so they'll give more. That's not the case with Asaph's psalm here. Look what he says in verse 8. I do not rebuke or reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before me. They're giving their sacrifices. They're good sacrifices. Now there were times in the nation of Israel where they were giving lame animals and things that weren't fit for market and God rebuked them for that. That's not the case here. He says, I'm not getting on to you because your sacrifices, they're fine. And, and, and they're not failing to bring the offerings. He says, they're ever before me. And so incidentally, I'm not preaching this series of messages on stewardship because of a downturn in our giving. In fact, I am pleased to report this morning with seven weeks left in our fiscal year that we're having the best year we've ever had. We give the Lord the glory for that. But I want to say thank you for your faithfulness to, to give to the Lord's work. So because that we're doing so well, I thought it would be a perfect time to address money. And because uh, what is clear through this psalm and many other places in Scripture is that God takes no pleasure in mere form or ritual. Now, I use the term mere 
Meaning that while he wants us and even commands us to give, that's not what he cares about the most. Now, I'm aware more and more that many of you who are joining our churches are coming from different faith traditions. You don't have the same experience that those of us who are lifelong Southern Baptists have. And so I have to be careful over the next four weeks about using words and phrases that many of us who are lifelong Baptists understand, but others do not. Uh, a couple of those words and phrases are Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. Those of you who grew up Baptist know exactly what I'm talking about. For many decades, Southern Baptists took up an offering at Christmas time for international missionaries and an offering at Easter for North American church planters. And those offerings were named for two of our most famous missionaries, Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. But if you didn't grow up in a Southern Baptist church, you have no idea who these ladies are. So a story has circulated that I expect has some element of truth in its origin, that one day in a Southern Baptist church business meeting, the financial secretary arose to give the annual financial report. And in that report, she stated how much the church had contributed to Lottie and Annie in the previous year. And it was a substantial amount. And the pastor called for questions. And a new member in the back stood up and asked just how we got in debt to these two women. <laughs> What's the balance on the account and when we think we can pay them off? So... Uh, I say that to say I've often wondered what a new Christian or even a non-believer who comes into our services for the first time is thinking when we talk about giving to the Lord or when we pass an offering plate. Because someone unfamiliar with the scriptures might deduce from our actions and our words that God must be incredibly needy, that his people have to constantly support him and keep passing the hat. So let's correct that misunderstanding right now with our second point, and that is this. God is limitless in his resources. God is limitless in his resources. Look at verse 9. God speaking, I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. God states very clearly here that the reason he taught Israel to give sacrifices and offerings to him was not because he was in need. And so that begs the question, why does God command gifts and offerings if he's not in need? Well, he tells us in those verses I just read. The first point he makes is that when we give to God, we're, he's not taking what belongs to us. We are giving back to him what already belongs to him. So how so? because he is the creator of all life. The very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. We are but managers, we're stewards of what belongs to him. It all belongs to him. And he uses some inclusive language here. He says, both wild and domesticated animals are his property. He says the animals of the forest, that's the wild animals, and the cattle on a thousand hills, that's the domesticated animals. Now, by the way, when he says the cattle on a thousand hills, he's not limiting that to his ranch, okay? That's an indefinite word that means he owns all the cattle. So the answer to the question we posed in the title, is God in need, is a very clear no. God is not in need. And just to stress the point in verse 11, 
he follows up after he says the cattle on a thousand hills are his that I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. Birds were considered insignificant in the ancient world. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, God the Father knows every time a sparrow, which was considered insignificant in Jesus' day, falls to the earth. He's concerned about the birds of the field and what they eat, how much more so he will take care of you is the point. And so even the, the animals of the field, I, I get the picture there of rodents, mice, and moles, and things like that. He, he owns all of that as well. So... Um, to the greatest beast in the forest, all of it belongs to the Lord. Now, there's a second thing. He wants us to remember every time we give an offering that we are not providing for him. It's a reminder to us that he is our great provider. Verse 12, he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. Now, this is a hypothetical situation. God is not like us. He doesn't get hungry. He's saying if he did get hungry, he wouldn't go to us for help because he has every possible resource available to him that he has created. Now, we did see last week that Jesus in his incarnated body did get hungry. He identifies with us on the cross. He said, I thirst. When he got tired, he had to sleep. But this is God the Father speaking, who gave this message to Asaph hundreds of years before the incarnation. So what is he doing by saying all this? He is aiming, I believe, to help them and to us today think correctly and appropriately about possessions and about our giving. They were giving their offerings. That's not the problem. But apparently they were thinking wrongly about God in the process. Perhaps they were thinking God is in need. I need to help him out or that we have something to offer him or we're providing for him, which ultimately is a manifestation of a a wrong thought that I hear many people articulate all the time, which is God needs me. When we talk about developing and perfecting a biblical worldview, there is nothing more antithetical to the Bible than the notion that God needs anything, let alone us. He does not. What are the first two commandments God gave to Moses upon Mount Sinai? One, have no other gods before me. Two, Liken to it, make no graven image. They both had to do with the sin of idolatry. We often think of idolatry as going out in the jungle and chopping down a tree and milling it up, whittling it into the shape of a human being or an animal, and then worshiping it. Well, certainly there are those in the world who do that. That is a form of idolatry. But in its essence, idolatry begins with a wrong worldview and incorrect and inappropriate thinking about who God is. And God hates idolatry. He hates it when people think wrongly about who he is. That's why he's given us the Bible. So what then is to be our motivation for giving? He's not rebuking them for giving. He commanded it, but he wants them to do it from the right motive. What attitude, in other words, pleases God as it relates to our offerings. In other words, we want to talk about now how to think appropriately about our giving. So let's look at verse 14. And our third point, God desires a thankful giver. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. 
Again, he's not telling them not to give. He's reinforcing his commandment he's given in the past to give. Offer God sacrifices, but he adds a word. Did you know what it was? Thanksgiving. This is to be the overarching attitude through which we do everything we do for the Lord. It's never to be drudgery. It's never to be a burden. It's never to be something we check off so that we can do what we want to do. God loves what kind of giver? Cheerful giver. One who's glad to do it. And one whose heart is glad to do it is a heart that is full of thanksgiving for his blessings. We often say here the greatest blessing we ever received is Jesus, who died in our place upon the cross, our salvation. And then beyond that, he gives us many other blessings, doesn't he? We celebrated one this morning, our mothers. And regardless of the kind of relationship you have or had with your mother, she gave you life. I preached a funeral sermon last week, and the gentleman the deceased had three sons who are now grown, who grew up in our church. And they were telling anecdotes about their father and how much he loved their mother and how he insisted that on Mother's Day, they buy her an extraordinary gift, something they had thought long and hard about. And they waited one particular year to the last minute. They couldn't come to an agreement on what to give her. So finally, one day in Starbucks, they they found, uh, which was her favorite store, by the way, a coffee mug. But not only was it a coffee mug, you could get a discount if you brought the mug back and filled it every day. And so if there's one thing they knew about their mother, they said the only thing she loves better than coffee is getting a discount. And so they thought this is a very thoughtful gift for our mother. Their father did not think so. And the quote they said about their dad when he saw it, it said, your mother gave you life and you gave her a coffee muck. <laughs> the Lord gives us great blessings, don't we? And sometimes we're not very thoughtful about how we reflect that through our giving. And what God is graciously doing through the pen of Asaph is reminding them not only that they should give, but why they should give out of a heart of thankfulness. See, God is much more concerned with our heart than he is our money. Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher from years before, said this, the Israelites dreamed that hooves and horns could please the Lord, but indeed he sought for hearts and souls. That's always been the case with the Lord. You know what he said in 1 Samuel? To hearken, that is to listen to the voice of God, is better than sacrifice, to obey than the fat of rams. God would rather have your heart and your obedience than any gift that you could give in his name. And friends, fast forward hundreds of years, God has not changed. And yes, I agree with you that the new covenant has replaced the old covenant, and we're not ancient Israel. But God, in his essence, has not changed Ancient Israel was an agrarian society. Most of the people were farmers. They kept and measured their wealth in terms of land and fields and livestock. And so when they came time to give their offerings, God prescribed to them how to give of grain and fields and livestock. That's how they gave their offerings. Incidentally, that's how our ancestors gave their offerings here too, up until just a generation or so ago. There was a group of men and women in 1958 that purchased two acres at 225 Jesse Street where we are 
And in looking back, the vast majority of them were, were farmers. This summer, our family has a trip planned to go out to Salt Lake City, Utah. My wife's baby sister and her husband have relocated out there in the last year, so we're going out to see cousins. Every time I go to Salt Lake City, one of the places I make it a point to go is Antelope Island. Right out there in the middle of the Great Salt Lake, there's a huge island, thousands of acres. And back in the 1800s, when the Mormons migrated to Utah, they used that islands as a ranch to store their members' tithes. If you have any LDS friends, you know they take tithing very seriously over there. And so almost all the people were farmers, so the way they tithed was livestock, cattle and sheep. And so this became one of the largest ranches in the country because they would ship those animals that the people would give as their tithe, and they would um, sort them and process them, and then when the need arose, they would sell some of them at the market and send them by rail back east. Well, as people began to industrialize and farming went out of vogue, um, there was no need for Antelope Island. And so some years ago, the state of Utah purchased this island, and today it is the home of the largest privately held bison herd in the country. And I love to go out there and, and look at those buffalo. You Now there's a causeway you can drive out there. Um, the point being, it's not been that long since we've been doing our offerings with checks and cash. Um, it was with livestock. Now you fast forward to today. You may say, well, that's for the ancient world. That has nothing to say to us today. I think it does. Remember what Spurgeon said? The Israelites dreamed that they could please God with hooves and horns, but what he wants is heart and souls. I, I think Spurgeon's quote today might go something like this. Christians dream that we can please the Lord with checks and stock certificates when indeed he seeks hearts and souls. You see, monetary systems come and go, but the Lord's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that's why we give, out of a heart full of love and thanksgiving for Jesus. But there's another reason here, and I have missed it all these years. I mark Mother's Day as my anniversary here every year. My first sermon here as senior pastor 16 years ago was on Mother's Day. And so 16 years later, um, I don't feel obligated to preach about moms every year because you get tired of hearing the same thing. But the Lord hasn't changed. And what I saw this week in verse 15 really blessed me. Look what he says. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. That seems like a verse that's out of place. He's been talking about money and sacrifices and possessions and giving. And all of a sudden he starts talking about prayer. Call upon me in the day of trouble. But yet it is in the right context if you understand it correctly. See, for seven verses, verses 7 through 13, Asaph is describing what displeases God. What displeases God is giving to him from a wrong motive, giving to him out of right or ritual. Remember, Jesus described the Pharisees of his day. It says, they honor me with their lips as they talk about me and they say the right things, but their heart is far from me. And it displeases God to do the right things out of the wrong motives. But in verses 14 and 15, he says, here's what does please me and what pleases God are gifts given motivated by a thankful heart and out of a sense of personal neediness. 
The pastor before me was Leroy Patterson, and I'm aware that most of you don't remember him. Godly man. And when he would come up here to pray, by the way, I have tried to listen to godly people pray over the years because that's how you learn to pray. And almost every Sunday, he would come in this pulpit. Do you remember what he would say? Lord, we are needy people. We are, aren't we? And it's good to confess that to the Lord. And the Lord is pleased when we confess our neediness to him. Why? Because he delights in mercy. He loves to meet the needs of his children. He's not put off by our much asking. In fact, just the opposite. He loves it. I think sometimes we have the attitude. I've had this attitude. When I come back to the Lord, day after day, week after week, year after year with the same prayer request. Especially when that prayer request involves confessing the same sin I've committed over and over again. That, that I have this internal attitude that maybe this is the day when the Lord's going to be finally fed up with hearing me. And he's going to say, that's enough. I don't want to hear any more of that. But aren't you glad the Lord doesn't do that? We do that. If we have a friend, he comes to us for help, there comes a point where we get fed up with that, right? And we disassociate ourselves from that person as a friend. God doesn't do that. He delights in showing mercy. Look what he says. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High and call upon the Lord in the day of trouble. <laughs> what did we see? In Psalm 46, he's a very present help in time of trouble. And I can tell you, with 2,500 people in our church, every day on the calendar is somebody's day of trouble. Every day. He's a very present help. He doesn't grow weary with our much asking. Quoting Charles Spurgeon one more time, he has well said, quote, To pray is to enter into the treasure house of God and to enrich oneself out of God's, hear this, inexhaustible storehouse. Inexhaustible are God's provision. So the question, is God in need? No, far from it. In fact, the cattle on a thousand hills for his, are his, and he loves to bless his children out of his inexhaustible storehouse of wealth. The scripture says, that God gives according to his riches. We've just read describing God's riches as inexhaustible. And if God gives according to or commensurate with his riches, he gives good gifts, doesn't he? In fact, Jesus said to the people of his day, how do you, being evil compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much your heavenly father gives the spirit? God's a good father, and he delights in showing compassion and mercy to his people. I don't think you quite believe me yet. So you've got that look on your face that there's still some doubt. For the last two weeks, I've given you a, a parting verse to contemplate and try to memorize. Let's do that one more time today. Look at Proverbs 15. When we finish this four-week sermon series, we're going to spend the balance of the summer in the Proverbs. And so uh, let's look at this proverb, this wise saying. Proverbs 15 and verse 8 really summarizes everything I've been trying to point out today about God's nature and his attitude towards money and gifts. Proverbs 15, verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked, now he's 
speaking from Old Testament context, making these literal animal sacrifices to the Lord, what does he think about the sacrifice of a wicked person? The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. It's, just, it's, it's not as if he's neutral to it. He hates it. The Bible speaks of those priests burning the fat of those rams and the Lord being pleased with its odor. Here's the opposite of that. The wicked who are motivated by self-interest, who don't have a thankful heart, who are coming to the Lord with unclean hands, they keep offering their sacrifices thinking that's what pleases the Lord. And he says, that disgusts me. This is an abomination to me. Now, on the other hand, which is what the conjunction but means, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Here's the picture. Two people come in to the temple. One has got his hands full of things he thinks God needs. Here you go, Lord. We're square now. God says, no, not only are we not square, this is an abomination. Here's the other guy that comes in. He's got his head down. His pockets are turned out. There's nothing in him. His hands are empty. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me. Isn't that the story Jesus told? Two men went down the temple to pray. One a publican, well-respected in the community. He rose to speak and looking around said, Lord, I think I'm not like that guy. I tithe more than I have to. I fast more than I'm required to. Aren't I something? And then on the other hand, he says, uh, excuse me, uh, the other one was the tax collector, looked down the community. All he could do was say, Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Jesus asked his disciples, which of those two men do you think the Lord heard his prayer? And the obvious answer is the one who came with empty hands and outturned pockets. Because see, when we come to the Lord with outturned pockets and empty hands, we're reminded that he doesn't need us, we need him. And we like to say around here, we do everything for the glory of God. That's one of our mottos. Let me remind us, we may attempt to do everything we do for the glory of God. God does everything he does for the glory of God, including blessing us. And when we come to give our offerings to the Lord, that's the right attitude. We're not paying him off like Lottie and Annie. We're not trying to win his favor. We are just expressing a heart that overflows with love and thankfulness because we deserved death and hell and he gave us life in heaven. And everything belongs to him, and we're just giving to him what already belongs to him and saying, Lord, we're not the provider, but we need your provision. And so next time you get ready to write a check to the Lord's work or give a stock certificate or load up some cows or chickens to bring them to the Lord, know that what pleases him is not the act of giving, it's the heart of thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And there's so much more that we could say about money and possessions. And over the next three weeks, I pray, Lord, that we would mine the rich depths of the word, that we would not think like the world, but that we would cultivate and every day fine-tune a biblical worldview. 
And so today we've seen everything is yours. We own nothing. Next week we'll see how we're to manage that. So help us, Lord. Pray that your spirit would enlighten our mind and eyes. And above all, Lord, as we leave here, I pray we'd all pledge to be doers of your word, not just hearers of it. So Father, I pray you change us for the better for having been here today. We pray that you've been pleased with all that's said and done here. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.